Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast, probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between, right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you? Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Knoll, and here's your co-host, Tiberius Warren Rodriguez V. No, that last part's new, but uh, it's just TJ. doesn't stand for Tiberius Warren. It's TJR5. Yep. Yeah, TJR5. So uh, this is, right. We have a this is a busy oh. day. <laughs> oh yeah, this is the second podcast we've recorded today. Uh, we have a very special guest with us, uh, Father Jonathan. How do, how do I say the last name? Meta Sophia. Meta Sophia. Is okay if I call you Father Jonathan. Father Jonathan. <laughs> right. I'm bad with the names. So. Yeah, I think your name is on the uh, the answering machine for the uh, front, and we are. I was like, whoa! I, I forgot who it was first. Uh, the the other, I guess the other. Uh, Priest at the church that was listed first whenever we were called the Father Vasilios. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Father Basil. Yeah. It, it was. Basil it was Vasilios. said just quickly enough to go. Yeah. Can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't really paying attention, and yeah. you know, for some reason, I guess I just didn't expect you guys to have Greek names. Well, the funny thing is, it's not a Greek name. My uh, my my last name is actually when my wife and I got married. Um, uh, we decided to make up a last name. Oh, wow. So meta is a poly word, a, a, a pre-Sanskrit language word meaning loving kindness. And Sophia means wisdom in Greek. And so it's kind of a love that's informed by wisdom and a wisdom that leads to loving kindness in the midst of the world. So cool. it does sound Greek, though. So a lot of the Greek people are fooled here. But it's otherwise I would have had a, an Italian last name for my father. That yeah. uh, might have been a little inconspicuous. Yeah. Wouldn't be inconspicuous here. Would, uh, so did you both abandon your last name? Or? Yeah, we both did. We decided to do something, uh, something new and something, uh, something together. As, uh, as we started our life together as a married couple. So did you keep your middle names, or did you put your last name in the middle names? No, we did keep our middle names. Okay. So. I'm, just, I'm just trying so to... The last names are just gone. Our last name, legally, I am no longer... Reduced uh, to Adams. Yeah, I, uh, yeah like uh, like the, the Infinity Stones. Yeah. Uh, gone. <laughs> Reduced to Adams. <laughs> Use the stones to destroy the stones. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Watched it at like 11.30 in the theater. It's kind of like too good time. I've seen it several times in theaters. <laughs> elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, so recently, we I, we, I was interviewed by the Catholic Ministerial and eventually told teacher that I got interviewed. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that they just published that article this week and uh, the week that we're recording. I just kind of wanted to read some of the comments that happened there. We like to read comments every now and then from various sources, Facebook, Instagram, people coming up to us and just talking to us. We mentioned that before now. Yeah, we have anything, any feedback we get. We want, we want to just let people know that we not only acknowledge it, but uh, we want to do better, and we really appreciate anything people have to say about us. So, um, and this article was written by Kimberly Bender. Make sure I had the name right. I thought I knew it. Anyway, uh, she said uh, much about the Catholic faith can be learned by understanding other religions. Just talking about kind of an intro. We were talking from. Another Pentecostal standpoint to uh, Father Pat the Catholic on that episode, and it, it's just called Catholic. Though. Y'all look it up on the podcast. And um, she talking about um, something that Father Pat said that the uh, possibilities are endless when one understands another person's beliefs, and when one appreciates that other people are seeking a closer relationship with God, just as Catholics are. Which just as I think everyone we've talked to. That we could say that of, and it's it's 
really nice to see that we're allow, helping other people see that truth. It's really encouraging. We appreciate that article and everyone at the Catholic News here. Like, follow them on Facebook and everything. And we'd like to encourage our followers to do the same. Right. It's, it's pretty cool to see what's going on, especially if you're in the Charlotte area. Kind of knowing what's going on and seeing it from that perspective. It's, it's good stuff. Even if you're not Catholic, it's important to know what's going on in the faith. Oh, yeah. In other faiths. Especially, you know, if you're in the Charlotte area, it's, it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening, that, support us on Patreon. Yeah, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and Twitter. We have Twitter now. Uh, yeah, ran by Joshua. He's not that good at it. And he forgets we have it all the time. <laughs> we only sort of have it. And, uh, that's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. please continue but, uh, yeah, follow us on all the social medias uh, please support us on Patreon as we are broke and this podcast takes money so any support we can give is fantastic and our special guest today is uh, Father I don't even want to try Father Jonathan Father Jonathan yeah, Meta Sophia uh, but Father Jonathan's father it's not that Father Meta Sophia walk into service does anybody ever say here's John no, but growing up, I was always Johnny. My siblings all call me Johnny still, even though I'm uh, I'm I'm, a, I'm father to everyone else around here. But mm-hmm. when my when my mom or my brothers call me or my sisters, it's it's Hey Johnny, how you doing? Yeah, that's my dad's deal. He he's his name is John. Call him Johnny. Very few people call him John. It's really nice to find out that uh, I guess priests and pastors and stuff are like real people. We yeah. just we just recorded a fast and and talked a lot about SpongeBob, and it's just so encouraging because oh yeah, uh, I'm, they're I'm, human too. That's I'm great. Very excited that uh, that your Josh is wearing a uh, a uh, a Captain America shirt and Captain America hat because I'm the biggest oh. Marvel nerd and, and socks. No, he has a full ensemble here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but none of those are from the same iteration of Captain America. Right? <laughs> nope. I don't know what the socks uh, are, but I'm sure this is from the '60s. This is from like the '90s, and that's Patriot. Yeah, the, the, I don't, yeah. Oh, no, man. Yeah, the newer Captain America yeah. stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Father Jonathan <laughs> is what we'll be referring to him as. And uh, we like to start with an icebreaker question. All right. Uh, everyone listening hopefully knows that. And, uh, we've got one of my favorites. It's not one of the crazy ones, but it's it's, it's just silly enough. Yeah. The so, right amount of silly. So, we'll answer first, give you time to think. Okay. But what is your favorite piece of furniture? So I can start. If, All right, go for it. Uh, my favorite piece of furniture is definitely, I would say, a futon. Just because multifunctional. It's, well, yeah. yeah, you have a couch, you have a bed, strapped for cash in a new place. You can just buy one. Well, and, uh, or it's a great accessory for a dorm room or a regular room. I have my, one in my room at home. My old futon was garbage. Was yes, like, uh, it's one, uh, one of one of the best parts of it though is its third function. Um, the third function being it's where TJ keeps his change. And sometimes I use that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I only like to keep I only like to keep quarters in my pocket. So when I'm at his house and I get change, I'll just take everything that's not a quarter and I'll just throw it behind the futon because it has like a shelf. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's useful. That's and it has actually, cup holders. Yeah, oddly enough. It has cup holders, which is why you bought shelf, it. Shelf the cup holders are easily the only good parts about that futon. The futon's basically just the center console yeah. in everyone's <laughs> yeah. car. Yeah. It's terrible um, to sit on, though. It's, it's terrible awful. to sleep on. It is awful. I, I couldn't sleep on. But, uh... <laughs> the rest of the futons on Earth I have to experience are pretty nice, though. Yeah. Mine's great. Uh, my favorite furniture, didn't even have to think about, is the Ottoman. Mm. I love them. Because they're a footrest, 
But also, sometimes I sit on them if I need to get closer to the TV. Is it easy to move? Definitely. No, yeah. I mean, you can. Not a I'm just saying, a futon can do both of those things if you set it on a regular. It's just more easily moved. Well, I mean, if you if you angle the futon the right way, you can just slide down, like I do. Mine's like, mine's situated. Like, one end's really close to the TV. One end's far away. Plus, it sounds cool. It does. Futon's pretty cool word. That's that's fair. Okay, uh, Father Jonathan, do you have a favorite piece of furniture? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like old fashioned. I'm, just, I'm a, I'm a rocking chair kind of guy. Oh, oh man, that's a good one. The best thinking, the best thing about rocking chairs, uh, aside from the fact that they rock, is they do have a dual function as well as rock. as mine does, um, which is uh, to store my clothes before I fold them. And mm, sometimes nice. I, when I need to sit on the chair. The rocking chair. I'll just move those clothes onto the dresser rather than put those clothes in there. Rock in my chair for and a moment and then put them back because <laughs> I'm. Uh, it's less cluttered that way. I gotta say, guys, the futon does all of those things except for rock. <laughs> yeah, I, I can sit on the futon with my clothes. <laughs> it's great. I, I gotta say, was that an intentional double entendre? Did you mean that it rocked in both ways? Or? Oh yes, I'm okay. that. I'm that. I'm that just good. Yeah. Wanted to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> He thought about this. He's been thinking about this. <laughs> like, that's, he knew. I've been waiting for years to say that. This is one wordplay I want to do. One day, someone will ask me this question. I definitely do that all the time. I think about it. I usually forget. When it comes time, I remember. Uh, good times. So, with that, excellent answer. That except was the only Josh. question today, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks for your time. <laughs> all right. Oh, uh, let's, we'll get into the real questions. Wait. That, that's there's more. Yeah, we'll get into the slightly less serious questions. Uh, and <laughs> how is, how, if you understand what we're saying, how is the Greek Orthodox Church different from the Catholic Church today? Okay, so uh, the big thing that people don't recognize is, I mean, uh, most people would realize that for the first thousand years of Christian history, there was one church. There was just the church. You were Christian. You either were the followers of the way, or you would say you were the church. Even uh, the name Christians were first uh, used in the, the Church of Antioch. Uh, um, but at one point for the first thousand years, we were all just one church. Uh, and we were all made up of a uh, of a council of local churches. The Church of Rome was one of them. The Church of Jerusalem, the Church of Alexandria, the Church of Antioch, as I said before, and eventually the Church of Constantinople, uh, which is the, our our mother church, um, in uh, which is in Constantinople, uh, in uh, present which is present day Istanbul. And uh, and so we're all one church. Uh, slowly over the course of Christian history. The big issues that emerged were political and uh, and language. And so for the first three, four hundred years, everyone kind of spoke the same language. Even St. Augustine, who primarily wrote in Latin, uh, knew a little Greek. He just really hated it. He found it to be very difficult. And I think the same is true for many uh, Greek-speaking authors at the time. They just stopped learning each other's language. And those differences in language, people who speak multiple languages know that there's different ways to think. Uh, and, uh, and depending on what language is, because language structures our thoughts. And slowly, new ideas started to emerge that separated us over time. And in 1054, there's kind of a solid date of the Great Schism uh, between the Catholic uh, the Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox uh, Church in the East, although those names didn't exist. It was just the Latins and the Greeks. Um, and so after that time, about, you know, several 
you know, hundred years divided us. And the big severing point between East and West, I would say, where it was really solidified in the minds of a lot of uh, a lot of the Eastern Christians was the sack of Constantinople and twelve oh four, where the the the, the Latins, Venetians, uh, on the Fourth Crusade, rather than making their way to Jerusalem, sacked Constantinople and occupied the city for about sixty years. And even today, uh, I was I heard the story of a monk on, on Mount Athos, a monastery peninsula in northern Greece, who said, I can't stand the Latins, and, and asking him why, but he said, because they took our city. And the person said, that was about 800 years ago, maybe you should get over it. Um, but so a lot of it is just political differences. There are some doctrinal differences, um, uh, uh, the way we conduct worship, you can see parallels, especially in the Latin high mass and in the liturgy that we do on a Sunday. Uh, and so there, and then there's certain doctrines that formed over time that emerged because conversations were happening in each side of the, uh, each side of the Christian world. Uh, that weren't happening the other. So a question like uh, uh, with Augustine came the question of original sin because there was a doctrine of original sin in the West. Well, then there needed to be a, a doctrine of the Immaculate Conception that never became an issue in the East. So we don't have those doctrines. And so those divide us doctrinally, politically, we were divided East and West because of uh, the sack. And then kind of culturally, we started to differentiate, especially with the emergence in the West of kind of rational uh uh, rational thinking uh, or, or kind of uh, academic theology, whereas orthodoxy in the East kind of stuck to its mystical spiritual side. Uh, although some of the most learned men in history uh, came out of the East, um, certainly they, it was all informed by mystical experience uh, being articulated through their educational background. So it's a long-winded, a little heady, but um, but that's kind of what divides us today. And uh, the, the excommunications that divided us in 1054 ongoingly have been formally lifted uh, in the last century, uh, but there still isn't full communion between the two churches, though they see themselves as kind of the two lungs of, uh, of, uh, of the ancient church, uh, breathing uh, the spirit into the world. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead. One second. So you mentioned, I'm just curious, does the... Greek Orthodox Church and then not have a doctrine of original sin still? So we have a doctrine of, uh, we call it sometimes the ancestral sin. And the difference is it's not an inherited guilt uh, that's passed down uh, by the fact of birth, uh, like a seed uh, uh, passed down from the original sin of Adam and Eve into each generation. It's a, it's a, it's a tendency being born into this tendency to fall short of God's command to love God and neighbor as oneself, the tendency to sin. It's not an inherited guilt, but it's a tendency towards falling short of what God expects of us. So you don't believe that when you're born, you are a sinner? Right. Oh, okay. That Which is, is definitely different. And for that reason, we also don't have a doctrine of limbo. Uh, we don't, uh, we're unbaptized infants would go there. Uh, we also have, we haven't developed a doctrine of purgatory because there isn't this kind of guilt that needs to be purged that one, even if they've lived a virtuous life, would still need some degree of purging. Uh, so we don't have that doctrine. So is it more possible than in your doctrine for someone to go to heaven without ever having known Jesus or been saved? So the hope would be, there's a deep hope within the tradition, in the ancient Christian tradition, that all will be saved, that everything will be, be under the, uh, all every knee will bow. Uh, 
Uh, so it's not uh, the hope would be that if someone doesn't have the experience, because there's generations of people that lived before the time of Christ, there's generations that lived after the time of Christ and never heard the word, and there's a deep hope that all will be saved. That being said, salvation comes through Christ, through the church, by the descendant of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're joined to Christ in the church, and uh, we enjoy the very same relationship by grace that he has by nature with his Father. Uh, and so there is, it is in Christ that salvation comes, but we don't limit that the mystery of salvation uh, in, in a way that's over, that doesn't take into account the realities of existence. Uh, so the deep hope is one thing, but at the same time, there is there is a there is a, a, a sense that salvation comes through Christ. Right. What that looks like ultimately, we like to leave it up to the angel of good silence. Hmm. Wow, that was definitely very. That's a lot more different than I thought it was. Yeah. Well, and it's wow. It's interesting because then that that kind of stuff makes me think. Then, or just curiosity. This isn't a written question, so I'm trying to like mm -hmm. word it. But it's um because Protestant traditions broke off from Catholics mm -hmm. so much further down the road. Even though obviously there's a lot of difference between Protestant beliefs and Catholic beliefs, yeah, there are some that we kind of borrowed from them, like original sin. Mm -hmm. But then coming makes me wonder: is the Protestant Church and Orthodox Church more different? In some ways, I think it's kind of in some ways Orthodoxy stands a middle ground between the two because we still are very institutional in ways that some of the some of the Protestant traditions are not. Maybe some of the High Church Protestants, like the Anglican tradition and the Lutheran tradition, uh, you might see uh, might see a little bit more of the institutional structure. But we also find ourselves very charismatic. We all coming from the, the Pentecostal tradition are very charismatic. You're, you understand the power of the Spirit to transform our lives and inform. Uh, and not only uh, we, we not only pray that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we pray that the, somehow the Holy Spirit even prays through us, mm -hmm. and, and it's through the whole. It's only through the Holy Spirit that one can call Jesus Lord. And so, in our prayers, we understand that we are we are saturated and permeated by the grace of the Holy Spirit in a way. So it's kind of in some ways we we stand a middle ground. In some ways, we never had the questions that the, the protesting of the yeah. Protestant Reformation had because we didn't have those doctrines. They, we would probably say very much we would have the same critique of those of those practices and doctrines. Maybe just a little less violently throughout history. Uh, we had our own. We, have, we had our own degrees of violence. But when you're yeah, uh, not your denomination centered on feelings, then things get a little violent. Yeah. But uh, man, I'm sure TJ will eventually stop me from going down this trail. But um. You mentioned the Holy Spirit praying through you. Does the Greek Orthodox Church believe in a glossary? So in the way, when we have to think of the, what it actually means in the scriptures. So there's two ways it's talking about. If I speak in tongues of angels and men, there is a sense in which yeah. that is part of the tradition. There is a question whether that, that's coming from the Greek mystery cults, yeah. uh, where it was already happening. They were already open to that practice, and somehow that practice was baptized within to the Christian life. And St. Paul says, yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it is true. It is the Holy Spirit. But when you're also talking about glossolalia, you're also talking about the ability to speak in tongues tongues meaning i speak and whoever hears me hears me in their own language advice and they and i can hear them in their language and that's why what happened on the day of pentecost 
Pentecost wasn't that they were speaking in tongues in some angelic language. They were speaking in tongues that everyone was marveling because they somehow heard them speaking their own language, despite the fact that they were from Galilee. Right. Uh, and so, so that there's, there's two ways. So we do, we are informed by that tradition that practice per se or that experience isn't as common within orthodoxy um, because, but we understand ecstasy and uh, happening in other ways in our, in our own tradition, kind of mediated through the ways in which we have experienced uh, experienced the grace of the Holy Spirit over the last two thousand years. Wow. So what are some other? Because I wasn't prepared to ask this question, but you know, you mentioned um, being from more Eastern tradition, more mysticism kind of being involved historically. What are some ways that that affects your church now and so part of uh, so a mystical experience is the basis of, of all of our doctrines in the sense that um, we are a very empirical faith not like in a scientific way but we are based on experience and and not just individual experience but common experience doctrine arises when people have experiences and then begin to speak about it and the language is established to speak about that that becomes the doctrine when you say okay this is the best language that we can use to describe the mystery that we're experiencing. And mystery is a really important word in, in orthodoxy. Mysteria is the word we use for sacrament. And so uh, we, uh, and, and what it means is it's not that you somehow can't explain it. It's not like a mystery novel where like we're searching for the answer. Right. It's a mystery in that we can't, language cannot exhaust the reality of that experience. Mm. Again, we offer up to the angel of good silence. This is as best as we can say. And even dogma, the word dogma, means uh, it's a fencing off. And so it's a fencing off in a general region, so to speak. We said we somehow know this experience is uh, is is in the middle here, but we don't we don't say that it's this exactly. And a lot of times we use what's called apophatic language, which is theology by negation, but it doesn't mean that we're saying this isn't what God is. We're said we we're again saying not nothing in human language and all of the languages put together can exhaust the mystery of God. Just like we can hardly exhaust the mystery of another person, because God is personal, we encounter God as person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we 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 do not limit God with our language, and ultimately, the language of God is silence. Because what more can you say when you're standing in the presence of ultimacy, infinite ultimacy? Uh, that's yet person. And so that's the, that's the mystical experience. And so from that experience, that mysticism, that spiritual life, the practices that help get us ready to encounter God, so that God's freely given grace can be enter into us and permeate the world through us. Um, all of that is us. That's what we're doing. And, and it's and it's when we have those experiences, we come together in council, we share our experiences. That's where the doctrine out of rather than coming in like using philosophy or rational thought to say something about god we use our rational thought or philosophical language or whatever language we have poetry to articulate in that language the experiences that are beyond language as best as we can sharing it with one another so with these those kind of experiences would that be the highest authority for your church or what does scripture place with so you have to understand, so scripture, uh, so when the early church, the first 300 years, they're talking about scripture. I mean, they are talking about the letters of the apostles, but they're really talking about the Old Testament. And the canon of scripture that we've received 
up till today, wasn't established until the fourth century. There was a general consensus about what books tended to be used. That kind of the criteria were that they were had some. There was some way of determining they had apostolic authorship. Uh, they were read already in church. I mean, the, the, the exception to that would be. Uh, the book of Revelation wasn't commonly read aloud publicly in worship, um, but, the, you know, all of the epistles were. Not everyone had every epistle. There are other epistles that were authored by St. Paul. He mentions it, I believe, in one of in Second Corinthians. He mentions a, something in a letter that wasn't in First Corinthians. So it means that he, there, was, there were more texts that existed. Um, and part of that, and so scripture, nothing can contradict scripture. Um, but that we also have uh, experience of tradition, the, the lived experience of the of the people of God, of the Christian Church, of the first three centuries, and ongoingly, because the Holy Spirit doesn't cease to inspire. The Holy Scriptures, yes, they're inspired, but more importantly, I think it's in uh, Timothy, one of the letters. Um, he uh, it, it's written that the Holy Scriptures is inspiring ongoingly it's constantly inspiring and our perspective is that through the holy scriptures um we are encountering god as god has been experienced by the author through the limitations of that author's own reasoning mm -hmm. and, and capabilities that's why saint paul has to argue that you know look what large letters i'm writing in that's why you know he's there each each sounds different when you're reading especially in greek you can tell the difference between john who's pretty poetic but his greek isn't as good as luke because luke's a greek and you can see the limitations if it was just falling from heaven i think everyone would have like a standard of writing but everyone's writing from their own capabilities and so we would say that ongoingly the church leaves room for that uh, that authority of the spirit but we don't we don't but to, to curb the, the challenge of anyone saying anything they want and, and determining and how we determine if something is authentic is, again, through the experience of community. Uh, we're a synodal church. We're a conciliar church. And so although we have important figures in the life of the church, we call them fathers or mothers or saints. Uh, you, if, in my office, I have icons all around of different saints and fathers and mothers of the church. Um, and they... Um, but what, what gives them their ultimate authority is the church coming together and authentically saying, this is the common experience of the life of the church. The church as a whole Athens, the body of Christ, the yeah. ultimate authority. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I really like you said, they can't contradict scripture. Yeah. We just um, had a podcast with my pastor. We just talked for a good, good yeah. little bit about that. And about um, how I can't believe I have unity at all if I can't. And we had to have something to start with. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's good if we can agree can't contradict this. You know, it's, it gives a lot gives you a place to start. Yeah, I mean, you have to and you have to understand how scripture came into being and why it was why it was established. If the early letters of Paul, you know, first twenty years, think of the Book of Thessalonians. So it's still twenty years after Christ, and then the Gospels actually come later. And uh, the earliest I think is Mark in sixty five A.D. And so you know. There's a lot of time that's passed. It's 35 years, 40 years. The gospel according to John might even be well into the second century because he was the youngest of the apostles. And so he could have been writing it as an old man. So there's a lot of time that's passed since the time of Christ. And what it is, is it's offering an account because the apostles are dying off mm -hmm. uh, by that time. And so it's a way of, of, of saying this is the tradition 
This is the experience of the life of the church. But the church existed for those 20 years before Paul wrote, and those 100 years from when the time of Christ and, and just after the Apostle John, and they're teaching and preaching and leading communities. And so there's a whole life that's happening of the church before we have an established text. But the text is then a written account of the tradition, which is why we have to have apostolic authorship. Because there's apostle, you know, the gospel, the Gnostic gospel, or the Gospel of Thomas, or something. Those didn't have established uh, authorship, and so that's why they never made it into the canon. Yeah, it's uh, it's super important to remember, uh, which slips. I'm sure everyone's mind at some point that no one sat down and said, "Let's write the Bible." That's not <laughs> how it happens. <laughs> it's definitely not something you think of as a young child until. Someone tells that to you, and that's kind of well, it's insane. Also, just really weird. I, I think it changes how you read the New Testament when you think about the fact that the Old Testament wasn't canonized until well after all of that. So it's kind of like, huh? When they say scriptures, they're not talking about like a "this is my book." It's mm -hmm. a completely different kind of thing. It's just such a weird, weird way to read through the Bible, and you're like, oh, that's not what they mean when they say church. They don't mean what I think of when I think of church today. It's a lot of stuff like this. They don't need to talk about language earlier. That's not what's happening. But uh, one thing you were talking about, um, ongoing spiritual experience, I just kind of wanted to read from Second Timothy. Hmm. And it's, it's in the beginning when Paul's addressing them. He says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And a lot of Paul's writings, especially to Timothy, you know, he's writing to a young person. It, it just, like you said, it's very much a reminding that this should be a continuing thing. It shouldn't be, this is it. It's a, no, the spirit is in you. It was in your mother. It was in your grandmother. It's going to keep going on as long as you keep it afresh. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And I, I love that that's such a big part of your faith. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what's really what's really beautiful. I mean, a lot of times people misunderstand what we do, and there, there's always the question of faith and works and stuff like that. We do a lot of practices. There's practices that we've inherited, uh, but we don't. But the reason we do them is to is to kind of get out of our own way, so that grace that's been freely given to us can ongoingly be continued. We have to stoke the fire, otherwise it can it can pitter out. And so it's really important for us. All the practices we do over time, everything that we've done is just ways in which we found effective the last 2,000 years to keep that spark a burning fire. Wow. So uh, if we have no follow-ups to that, then uh, we'll want to get into probably the easiest question. Uh, definitely easier than favorite piece of furniture. <laughs> why is... So uh, There's so many. Like, you could have chosen a bookshelf. A uh, chair, Papa's on chair, like the round ones. Oh man, yeah, those are great. Inconvenient though. Yeah. So uh, why, <laughs> other than uh, why is it called the Greek Orthodoxy? Uh, so it's actually it's we are members of the Eastern Orthodox Church, and now Orthodox it's, as a designation, Orthodoxy is something that's been added to us. Orthodoxy just means right worship or right doctrine, and all, the early church, they uh, well into the you know the, the later years, post Byzantine years, even after the split, Orthodoxy was just something they strove for, which is rightness of doctrine, uh, rightness of worship, 
Um, and so, and so that's what it means. And it was a, a name given to us. We also, with some in the church, we read the, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, and we call ourselves the Catholic Church. The mm-hmm. Catholic, not as a do- denomination. Catholic meaning universal or Catholic, which means, which means in each physical location, each local church is the fullness of, of Christ, because Christ is never divided. And so the fullness of the church is present in every congregation, ever present, ever present. And so. Yeah. And so it's been co-opted as is orthodoxy to distinguish a denomination. So we are Eastern Orthodox Christians. We would just say that we're Orthodox Christians for short. Greek just means that we come from uh, an ethnic linguistic heritage of people who speak Greek. So if you ever meet an Russian Orthodox person um, or a uh, or an, uh, or a an, uh, Serbian Orthodox person or uh, or, uh, or an Antiochian Orthodox person. Antiochians are those who speak Arabic. It's literally just language in which you're you're speaking. Um, and now, granted, our services are done here at the Holy Trinity Cathedral in English and liturgical Greek, which is not modern spoken Greek. Uh, even our people that are fluent in Greek don't always know exactly what's being said. They kind of have a, a sense for it, but I'll yeah. preach in modern Greek, but the service is done in, in a, a Byzantine era Greek. Um, and the scriptures, we read them in the original Greek and the Old Testament, we read in the Septuagint translation, which is in Greek. Um, but we also read it in English as well. Um, and so it's just the language which we worship. Now, there are Oriental Orthodox Christians, which are the Copts, the, the Coptic Orthodox Christians, the, the Ethiopians, uh, uh, the Armenians. These are, these are, although called Orthodox, they are Christians of the East. That's what Oriental means, Oriental mm-hmm. Orthodox. Uh, but they are not in communion with, uh, with those churches that, uh, that are called the Eastern Orthodox churches. And that's over several councils. There are seven ecumenical councils. Uh, for anyone who's familiar with church history might be aware of those. But in the fourth ecumenical council in Chalcedon, Chalcedon a question of the, the divine and human nature in the person of Jesus Christ was questioned. And there was a little bit of a breakdown again of language between the two sides. And there was a, a split. And so ongoing, so if you, if you ever meet someone who's Coptic, they are Oriental Orthodox, but they are not in communion with the Eastern Orthodox, the, that confederation of, of, uh, of local churches of Russian, Greek, uh, Ukrainian, Serbian, uh, Antiochian, all of these, these descents. So we're all one church, but we're not, we don't have a, a single, uh, authority like the Catholic Church, which is uh, under a pope. Our hierarchy is a synodality. It's a, it's a, it's every bishop is equal in our tradition. The, the different names they have, the different authority they have is just based on the significance of their city historically. Uh, our ecumenical patriarch in Constantinople, presently Bartholomew, um, is not the pope of our tradition. He is simply the first among equals, kind of the symbol of unity between the ecumeny, the, the whole church, Orthodox church worldwide. So he does have more power. He's just, like uh, figurehead. Yeah, he's uh, basically he's basically if the thing we do a lot of liturgical stuff. So when you're in a church full of people and everyone has the same rank, who walks through the door first? Right. So because, rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's uh, rather than having to to have a massive game of rock paper scissors, we just there are certain cities which are more significant historically. Constantinople, after the split from Rome, became the chief city of. Christian Church of the East, and that's why Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew 
holds that seat of honor as the ecumenical patriarch. Um, but he has all this, all of the other bishops have the same authority. He has a, some special authority to grant self-rule to local churches. So he gets front-of-the-line privileges. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So is there like a list of historically relevant cities or is it yeah so there's it's called the diptychs and kind of see it says every basically it gives you the order of who sits where and then later churches that came in like you have an archbishop of america who's recently been installed uh uh, archbishop lp Foros, hope bearer which is uh is is what his name means and he uh he was just recently uh installed and uh he's in new york and but he's the archbishop of america and he has kind of a figurehead authority over all of the orthodox greek orthodox churches here in america um although we have individual metropolitan bishops in different metropolises mother cities uh of the region we are under metropolitan alexios who's the metropolitan bishop of atlanta because the whole oh. southeastern region is under his uh, okay. his pastoral guide. Uh, the word bishop in Greek is episkopos, which means overseer. He oversees the Christian faith. He's the chief shepherd of this region. So, it's, so it's, uh, they just skipped over Charlotte. Charlotte, well, Charlotte actually used to have a diocese. Actually, oh. there's a building right next door to ours, which is currently a, a Buddhist meditation studio. The, the big room? Yeah, uh, like that's a, a, it kind of looks the same brick actually as our building. So that that is actually a um, uh, that was our old diocese, mm. and then it was sold off, and now it's a, a Buddhist meditation studio. You have a really yeah. beautiful church, by the way. Oh yeah, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. What's uh, we were thinking about like when we came in, it felt like. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Islands of Adventure uh, Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they have, like, a Greek section to it. I mean, you know, theme parks are meant to feel huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they have, we felt like we were like, wow, this is like... Like the Mediterranean the Sinbad area. It's the only it's point like, of reference we had, and we were like, wow. But, it, but it's, it's so really much cooler awesome. when it's not, you know, just for games. Yeah, when it's not a parody. Yeah, it's, when it, when it's the real thing. Very you know, impressive. Yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Um... Yes, so a lot of what you're talking about, so it sounds like you're sort of doing, like, the church is equal because it's a spiritual thing, but because we're still humans, it almost has to be structured hierarchically without it actually being a true hierarchy. I mean, it is, so it's, it's both and. It's it's a hierarchy and a synodality. We have bishops that are our overseers, and they have ultimate kind of authority by virtue of their role. They're the symbol of unity for each local church, and then the symbol of unity for all of the hierarchs are is the ecumenical patriarch, and when they all come together, there has to be someone who is the one who has the gavel to keep order. Because we're still, you know, yeah, we're yes. human. We're human, so uh, and they, we don't have Robert's rules or anything like that uh, in ancient times. But they did have to have some type of order. Uh, although, you know, there's stories of Saint Nicholas uh, who would become <laughs> Santa Claus who slapped Arius in the face for what he said about yeah, uh, the divine word. <laughs> um, he keeps trying to say it as if like Santa's still not cool. That makes him cooler. <laughs> I just. In, in in Greece, it's actually Saint Basil is is, is uh, Santa Claus, which is doesn't make any sense. But anyway, <laughs> teach their own. Yeah, all right. Exactly. Fun times. So uh, we noticed uh, when we were doing research for this episode, he was looking up Greek Orthodox priests mm-hmm. uh, for us to interview, and we noticed most of them, uh, at least a lot of them, had their a lot PhD. More than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, so is that is that like a standard? in the community or is it just hey you guys just happen to like to get phd uh so uh, no it's phd is not required uh if you're if you're looking up orthodox priests the most prominent ones will be the ones that have phds just because 
They're the ones that yeah. are writing a lot, well known. Yeah. I happened to have my PhD because I was, you know, I, I had a, a few three, five years and I, and I figured I'd go on to more study. Um, it's a good, good way to spend it. So, uh, so I, you, uh, we, you require to have a bachelor's, uh, from any, any institution. And most of our clergy in the Greek Orthodox Arch, Archdiocese, the GOA for short, uh, get their, uh, Masters of Divinity. That's our uh, minister yeah. degree. That's kind of common amongst the Christian yeah, traditions. Yeah, um, is, uh, that it, they usually go to, uh, Helena College Holy Cross in Brookline, Massachusetts. That's where uh, I went to school. I got my bachelor's, my first master's and my second master's there. Um, and so, um, and so the only requirement, though, is the initial MDiv. I uh, graduated a year early. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And so I figured, well, I spent most of my time taking really deep theological courses and neglected my more ministry-oriented courses. So I figured I'd go back for a year and take some more ministry-oriented courses. I still ended up taking a whole bunch of theological courses, but um, <laughs> yeah, but I did take some uh, pastoral theology courses. And I wrote on a subject that kind of blends uh, systematic theology or philosophical theology with, uh, with pastoral theology. Um, uh, and so I, then I, after I finished that, I did some ministry work uh, for a year and then I went back to get my PhD. So the fact that I got my PhD was in part because I wasn't certain exactly what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I wanted to be a professor. I ended up teaching for a couple of years at Hellenic College, Holy Cross, uh, where I went to school as a, as a, as an undergraduate professor, uh, where I taught a course kind of uh, akin to social ethics with a practicum. Um, that wasn't really my field of study, which is spirituality and uh, Christian and, and practical theology. Um, uh, but uh, but I but there was some overlap and and some of the work that I was doing in my dissertation and the work that I um, and that I was doing in the course. So that's kind of how it ended up. But the standard for uh, uh, Greek Orthodox priests. Uh, uh, in the U.S. and most Orthodox jurisdictions within the U.S. Uh, is an MDiv, a Master of Divinity, from a, an Orthodox seminary. So uh, it just kind of happens that if you look them up, you're going to get the most qualified ones. That's pretty Thank much you. it. But uh, you also would go to just actual Greek Orthodox church sites and yeah. look at their yeah. listen. Yeah. A lot of the ones I have to look. I guess it's just because they're the bigger churches. That makes, makes sense. sense. You know, uh, you know just. just you, you can tell me that's none of my business. But a uh, personal question. You got a doctor and two masters, and you taught for a while. You look really young. <laughs> how young are you? I'm 32. Wow. How, how'd you achieve so much so early on? See, I have this this uh, tendency to want to avoid the real world as long as I could. Genius. And, and the best way to do that was to be in school. And eventually you get to a level where they pay you to be in school which is the best part about the doctorate. Um, but I just, I, I was really interested. I got a little experience. Uh, one of the things in Orthodox Christianity that's different, I've talked about my wife. We can be married, uh, but we have to be married prior to our ordination. Um, and so I wasn't married. I hadn't met my wife before I started my doctoral studies. And um, and so uh, I just, I figured, well, I, I did some work in ministry. I have some more questions to answer. I might as well go on and, and continue my studies. Uh, I wanted to explore that potential location of teaching. Um, and uh, I did enjoy it, but I, I found that there was challenges to it. It wasn't, sometimes it's hard for me to, to have to teach a subject that I think is, uh, it's good for one's spiritual life um, uh, and to have to grade people on that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like what, what grade can you give about someone's spiritual progress? 
I mean, you can certainly grade them on it, but uh, or, their, or their moral progress. Yeah, we'll um, for an extra two minutes this yeah, semester. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's, that's a fail. Yeah. Like, can you write their prayer efficiency? With yeah. The, yeah. Their spiritual returns. Got just as much done in prayer, but with less time spent. <laughs> yeah. Very efficient. Very efficient. Yeah. We're very utilitarian. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so that was part of the a part of that discernment process. And then I met my wife while I was at uh, in in my doctoral studies at Boston University. Um, uh, something that you said earlier reminded me uh, of, of my experience at Boston University. So I went to an Orthodox Christian, Greek Orthodox undergraduate, and then I got two masters there. So I was there for seven years. And uh, and so I was kind of like indoctrinated into my tradition, uh, which is beautiful because I didn't grow up uh, Christian by, other than by name. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't attend church for my whole upbringing until like the end of high school. Um, and so I was really excited to learn, learn more about the faith of my, my forefathers and foremothers. Um, but um, when I went to BU, I, was, I encountered Christian and, and post-Christian thought and in a really, really beautiful way that helped me understand my faith better and helped inform my, my, my understanding of my, my tradition and also helped me think critically about my tradition. Some areas where sometimes and my dissertation ultimately, ultimately was on the question of well, what makes something traditional? Um, is it that it's been done for a long time or is there something deeper? And I found that the something deeper was the, the ultimate aim and the more immediate purposes. Um, the reasons that we do things, the intentions with which we do them are what makes something traditional. Um, and then the, the, the particulars of that, the forms can change, new practices can come in. But what, what's core to that is that, that is that common aim and those, and those common purposes. Uh, so that's kind of, so it was a beautiful experience in education. And I learned that through many interactions with people that thought much differently than I do. Um, uh, so it was, a, it, was, it was a great experience. Plus, it allowed me to meet my wife. Mm-hmm. So, you had to, you had to stall the ordination. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> otherwise I would have been selfish. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so what I, what I just learned is, uh, if you're, you're going to get married, you're <laughs> Yeah, that. No, he, he, he spent his time avoiding the world by, you know, school. And got to, so he said he got to a level where the most paid for him, yeah. I just avoid it by video game, where you get to a level where eventually you're more angry than you are enjoying the video game. <laughs> it just gets harder. And uh, you still have to pay for it. So uh, spend your time doing yeah. school. Lesson learned. If, if you're going to try to avoid the real world, do it by going to school. Not by playing video Not games. by, yeah. Especially Final Fantasy. Do something productive. If, if you're trying to finish every Final Fantasy game, give up. <laughs> it Final Fantasy thirteen two is not worth it. I don't agree, actually. Did you, did you play the newest, the newest Final Fantasy? No, I don't have PS4. PS4. Oh, yeah. I've heard it's good. No, the last one I did play was 13-2. Took me like 110 hours to beat. That's whatever. I still have the newest one. So, it's time for our Greek Orthodoxy speed draft. Oh. Which, done, done. yeah. So, we'll go over the rules. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't remember them all. <laughs> but, this is fun. Uh, the gist is you get one sentence to answer the question. And if you don't think you can do it in one sentence, you just say pass. However, it can be a run-on sentence. I am a scholar. <laughs> I use a lot of M dashes, semicolons, commas, multiple clauses. You do ask sentence. that you verbally say all punctuation. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Please, please <laughs> don't. <have to> do <laughs> parentheses. <laughs> Close parentheses. <laughs> hyphen. Hyphen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Semicolon. 
Does that count? Does it count as two sentences if there's a semicolon involved? No, that's the point. That's oh, all right, just give it a dash. It's easier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There we are. So, all right, so. Enter bang. That's the uh, exclamation point and question mark combined. That's what that's called. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> so why do Greek Orthodox Wait, clergy? You didn't say go. How do we know? I think he knows this. this time. Go. So why do the Greek Orthodox clergy wear vestments? Uh, so the vestments are. Are worn because we ought to be wearing our best. They come from the past, um, uh, and they were they were always worn. They just became more elaborate than what you see average person wearing eventually. And those are heard no punctuation. Oh, there was a there's oh, he just it was facial cues he implied. Okay, all right. Uh, does the Greek or, or does the Greek or, does the Greek Orthodoxy believe in inerrant scripture? The inerrancy of scripture. You can just say yes or no. Yes and. Excellent. Um, we understand that there's also a, a a communal interpretation of that scripture. All right. Well, well, we're sort of worried about that. No. Uh, do the Greek Orthodoxy and the Catholic Church have the same sacraments? Yes, and uh, <laughs> orthodoxy doesn't limit uh, sacraments to seven sacraments, but uh, uh, life itself is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. And mystery is our word for sacrament. Oh, okay. So if we were to ask you what the seven sacraments were, uh, is that... Would that be relevant to the Greek Orthodoxy? Is that just count? So we would still have those seven sacraments that they, uh, those are baptism, uh, uh, communion, uh, chrismation, holy orders, um, sacrament of the sick or holy unction, uh, and marriage. All of those are, are, are sacraments within our tradition, but they're not limited to that. We say death is a mystery, um, a holy blessing of water is a mystery. Uh, do you still use the apocrypha? So yes. So apocrypha, although we we use them with the with the sub with the title anagina skomena, meaning good for reading. All right. Uh, how do you view the Pope? Uh, the, what what do you view him as? The Pope is the bishop of Rome, one of the ancient cities of the Christian tradition. M dash. Saint <laughs> Francis is a pretty cool. Uh, uh, Francis is a pretty cool. Yes, he uh, he's gonna be on uh, season two of yeah. our podcast yeah. uh, as soon as we get Francis Chan on season that. one. Neither. Uh, do you believe in predestination? Uh, we do not have a doctrine of predestination, um, although we do believe that God uh, knows all and is outside of time. But we do not have that doctrine. All right, Bing, Bing, Bing. That's that, uh, that's it. it. That's the last. That's the last scripture question. Was, However, that was a really good speaker. That was. It was very concise. Was there a bonus round? No, I just want to ask uh, what the vestments are. Like, how strict are the vestments? Because we can see that you're wearing are, are these vestments. So what I'm wearing right now is actually a cassock and a vest, and this is what I just wear all the time. This is my really. It's it's Byzantine garb. It's what it's like. What, or it's more Ottoman 
Is this like priest hangout clothes? This is, yeah, this is what a priest would wear. This is the lounge suit. Yeah. Uh, right. What you don't realize is I'm wearing like linen, uh, like like beach pants under under my robe. Um, right. uh, but no, so it'd be, so the, the robe or the cassock or the underi, as it's called in Greek, or the zoistika, the everyday wear, is just, it's what I would wear as a priest. It's a long uh, kind of uh, garment that buttons uh, on the side. In the Greek, uh, in the Greek practice, in some of the other practices, it's actually what Leo wore in the, the second and third Matrix movies. Nice. The long button down with uh, the front. And that was like actually that. a Russian style, uh, old believer Russian style cassock. Um, and so I wear that all the time. It's uh, the vestments themselves. Uh, each order of clergy wears a different vestment. Um, the low, the undergarment of the of the vestment set is a white garment by rights, and that is baptismal robe. It re- represents the baptismal robe. And then every order has their own unique pieces, and they have we read certain prayers uh, from the scripture, and they each mean something. Uh, there's like a, a significance to them. They're strict. We wear a certain style. There's some variation in color and and the shape that they have between different uh, jurisdictions within orthodoxy. You'll often see Russian priests with a high back oh, that, that goes above their, the kind of at the top of their head from the back their neck down. Spooky vestments. Um, and then uh, Greek, Greek and those who follow Byzantine practice have a collar that just kind of stays close down by the neck, like a normal shirt collar that opens the buttons in the front. Um, and each of them have a significance. And then the bishop, if you ever see an Orthodox bishop, he's actually wearing what the Byzantine emperor would have been wearing historically. Um, uh, that was because after the Ottomans invaded uh, Constantinople and sacked the city in 1453, um, the, the patriarch of the, uh, the the leader of the city, the patriarch, the figurehead of the Christians, became the he became the ethnarch um, uh, uh, or the the ethnic. Uh, ruler of the of the Christian people of the Ottoman Empire, and uh, and then he started wearing the vestments of the Byzantine Empire. Well, and uh, you're wearing a crucifix. Yes, uh, is that part of the wear, or do you just decide to wear it? So I wear it because I wear it as a just to make sure people know that I'm, I'm Christian. Because um, sometimes I look like I'm not based on what I'm wearing, mm. depending on uh, people that don't know the tradition. Right. Uh, sometimes Orthodox clergy will also wear a collar. Uh, like a like a collar shirt, like a Roman collar. Uh, I just uh, find this more comfortable. I don't have to iron my shirts underneath it. It's really nice. Jeez. I'm a very practical. I study practical theology, so I like uh, I like to live my life <laughs> like that way. You know, I just uh, it was killing you not to ask those questions during the speed round, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. I, that, I'm so glad you didn't let me do the speed round. <laughs> One of the rules is yeah, no follow up. Yeah, questions. we can't do follow up questions. Which I only ever remember when I try to ask a follow-up question. (laughs) It's it's a pain. So uh, that will actually, that'll be all for what we had to ask, unless you have something else. No, I just really enjoyed the conversation. Didn't feel like it was over. I'm sad. It It was a lot of fun. Um, We do have the last couple segments, right? We do. We have a couple more things to do. Uh, We have something called a train talk, which is something we very rarely do. But, uh, what, are you, you a train talk? Oh, yeah. Oh, praise God. So, I love train talk. It's just this little thing we thought it'd be kind of, just a quirky thing that we could do. And uh, it's not... I, I really like It, it doesn't offend anyone. It, we, it started uh, because someone mentioned their favorite train song, and then somebody else mentioned a song about trains. Mm. And then uh, from there, 
So we have a. I realized I had a lot to say about trains. We we have a trains playlist where it's just a song that mentions trains or is about trains or is by train. It's on the playlist, uh, and it's recently super we got good. to have Hollywood Bleeding from Post Malone. Yeah, some good it's, times because he mentions a train in the beginning of the song. A super. It's like, a really long playlist. You can do your train talk. I'm we just going to show. Discovered, well, recently in doing this, we discovered most people. Whether they acknowledge like, it or not, have a favorite a song about trains, a favorite train song, if you will. And uh, we've had one person try to say we were wrong, good. and once we explained we didn't mean by the band, he then immediately had a favorite song about it's trains. It's really, yeah, it's, it's it's really good for casual listening. Yeah. But you but, have uh, Yeah, so I follow train news, naturally. <laughs> of course. And by follow, I mean periodically, pretty much every day, I Google trains and click the news button and go down and see if I can find anything interesting. Uh, interesting to me lately, we have any people who listen to this in the Northeast, they might care a little bit more, is um, lately there's been a lot of idling trains people have been complaining about because they're transporting landfill. And what they'll do is a lot of them are ran by coal, too. So they'll stop in a town and they're just kind of waiting before they're allowed to go to the next stop because another train's there and so on and so on. And people are complaining because they're stopping in these towns and filling it coal and the smell of landfill, which apparently most people don't like. So with all the complaining, the answer from the companies that you know run the trains is apparently to just switch the type of train. They're going to be doing more some steam or um, electric-powered trains instead of coal. Because, yeah, then they don't have coal in the air. My problem with that is they still have to smell landfill, so I don't think that really solved much, guys. But uh, I guess they don't have coal. So that, that's a plus. It's good for the environment. Exactly. Yeah. exactly what that's exactly what he's You're on the way over here. Right. brought it yes, up, and I was like, that's still if a If I fix. lived in the town, I'd be a lot less concerned with the environment, but a lot more concerned with the landfill smell in my home. They can't do anything about that. Uh, that's unnecessary. Stop idling your train. Stop throwing away so much stuff. Touche. The train can't go anywhere, Joshua. <laughs> what are they supposed to do? That's true. We need landfill so that trains have places to go. Yep, that's a good. That's that, it. That's our takeaway from today's. Thanks. Yeah, throw more trash away so we have more trains. So, yeah. we will close now, uh, unless okay. there's something. Is there anything else about the Greek Orthodox Church that you feel like our viewers, our listeners, should know um, that we haven't heard? Uh, not wrong, really. If you if you live near an Orthodox Church, uh, the best way to learn about it is to experience it. So, uh, when are your services now? Because we asked this question. At the Catholic Church, every day. blown away by the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So generally speaking, our major services are Saturday evening at 6 p.m. It's an all-English service, followed by a reflection with me uh, on Orthodox history, theology, spirituality. For people interested in Orthodoxy, also our parishioners that want to learn more about their faith. And then on Sunday mornings, we always have a liturgy in the cathedral at nine, at 9.30, and it's bilingual, Greek and English. Um, and then we either have an earlier all-English service at 8.30 or a simultaneous service all in English in our hall in our, in our main education building. Um, and so, and those are the ones that we recommend, especially the all English ones. Eventually, we're going to have an all Greek one because we still have a population that needs that. We have to serve the needs. And I think our new deacon, who will be soon our third priest, is uh, from Colombia, and he's going to do once a month a liturgy in the evening all in Spanish, which yeah. is pretty cool. That That's is. super common around here, people who only speak Spanish. Yeah, we, we were going to Chipotle, Carolina play small. If you couldn't tell. Yeah, we yeah he's, he's in a uniform. But, uh, yeah, so we, we deal with that a lot. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, we always get at least like twenty customers a day that come up to the line and just ask, "I'll buy uh, I'll bless me on." No. Like um, I used to say, she does. <laughs> "Yeah, I used to say, uh, oh gosh, I don't even remember how to say it now." Uh, I said no, so I upload Espanol. I used to say that, and, and then they would just it. keep <laughs> speaking <laughs> Spanish because they sound like Spanish. You must know. <laughs> so I had to stop doing that. Oh man, but uh, yeah. And wrapping up, what we like to do, we, well, we do two things. One thing is only for our patron followers. So if you want to hear that, like follow us on Patreon, support us, and help us be able to afford to keep doing what we're doing. It uh, you can pay what you want, or yeah. uh, our lowest monthly is three dollars. I think our house is 10. Yeah, I think I'm allowed to go in and supersede it if someone wants to follow it for free or for a dollar. I, I don't care. Interesting information. If you want to follow it, let me know. I'll find a way for you to get everything. Right. Yeah. Great business plan. I just like people. So. Anyway, but uh, please support us. That's, that's the main thing. <laughs> and uh, But our other segment is for everybody. So we like to wrap the podcast up with uh, a God moment of the week. So it's just something that God's done for us in the last week. We reported earlier today, so in the last thirty minutes for us, you know, <laughs> no, yeah, it's the drive over it's here. Something God's done recently, really, um, whether it's challenging or uplifting or just you studied something you thought was cool, whatever. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll start if then uh, you can chime in. You did want to do it? No? Sure. Uh, lately, uh, this is I think the first time that my God moment will have been a challenge, and uh, it's I I find myself lately not being sure of what I want to do, my career path. And uh, you want to go to Mars. Exactly. That's the conundrum. But uh, that is that was the plan for so long and now I just don't know. And uh, and I know that I will be able to make it through this trial with God's help alone. And that's that's my God moment. God's working on your future, that's very interesting. Yeah. You know, if you believe in predestination, you wouldn't have to worry about that. <laughs> He's going to stop me from going <laughs> to Mars, though. That's kind of lame. Oh, man. I, uh, <laughs> man. I, just, I feel like I've had a lot going on lately, just in general. Um, finding ways to work with my job where uh, we're able to do this and do so much other stuff. I, I do a lot with this podcast, a few other websites. My church, you know, I have a fiance. She needed to move in, so I had to like ask for most of the week off for like three weeks in a row because they keep changing her moving date, and I'm supposed to help her move in. And my job's been very accommodating. And this isn't a Chipotle moment of the week, but uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate how I've been allowed to make time to do all these other parts of life and still support myself. And it's one of those where I'm like, you know, when I think about it, I, uh, as our listeners will know, I cut off part of my thumb and missed like an entire 10 to 14 days of work because they wouldn't let me go with an open wound. And I thought that I was going to be really hurting this next couple months because it didn't work for 14 days and didn't get money in. Somehow this last paycheck is the biggest paycheck I've got from Chipotle, and I don't understand how. And I just kind of think God just decided to let me be able to live, so that's cool. Yeah. God moment of the week is, also hey, I think they gave me too much money. <laughs> they gave <laughs> me someone else's paycheck. Do you have one, uh, Father John? 
So uh, last evening, uh, I guess we're going to go with the work theme, although my work is, is okay. ministry. Uh, That's a bit easy. I had, uh, I had a, um, I like we had a, a Sunday school teachers meeting uh, last evening to get ready for the start of our Sunday school year this coming sat, uh, Sunday. And, uh, and I just I, I, last month I was on a, I did this sermon series on ecology and, and taking care of the environment. Mm-hmm. And in passing, I said, well, if you were to do a spiritual practice, why don't you plant a tree? And I like, you know, that's a way that you can be good stewards of creation and uh, and offer back to God. It was just kind of in passing. It was like, oh, that's something that someone could do. And one of our Sunday school teachers, a young uh, young woman from our community, took that to heart. And she is going to get her fourth grade Sunday school class to plant a tree here so that they can get the experience of what it's like to care for creation. And it was something that I, you know, I threw in there because I needed something to offer as a spiritual practice. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's, you always want the lettuce of the sermon, you know, let us do this, let us do that. Right. Um, and so I was throwing in my lettuce and, uh, it turned into a fig tree, which is really cool. That's really, that'll be really cool. And gosh, how long does it take for fig trees to produce? It's like a really uh, long so time. fortunately this is a already producing fig tree oh, okay. that they, her grandfather actually is donating to the class. Oh, okay. So it's a multi-generational task. Very nice. So, so uh, my God. we actually do have one more question before we do. The summer. Uh, you are a big practical theologist. Uh, do you think there is a practical way for we as Protestants in our churches, uh, Pentecostals, to unite with the Greek Orthodox? As individuals, not as, as individuals. Not, as, yeah. not a merging of the denominations. I think that the, the most practical way for anyone to kind of move between. Uh, between denominations is by ex- encountering and experiencing one another. Um, I would say that um, all theology, all good theology and practical theology is relational. And so unless if we're speaking to one another, unless if we're engaging with one another, I had this beautiful conversation with you both and, uh, and our listeners are, have been keyed in on this conversation just by talking to one another. I think that's the, the first practical attractive step. The gentleman came the other night to one of my Saturday evening talks, and he just said, I had so many misconceptions about orthodoxy. I'm so glad right. that I came. And um, you know, the same thing as me, all of my experiences have been walking into other tr- traditions, we come with our assumptions based on what we've heard. When we come down to it, one-on-one conversations with real people is transformative and can break down barriers. That's why we do this. So... They have three things they could do. Either. Or maybe all four. Three. All, all four. Yeah. All four of the three. All four of those yeah. three. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing so one more. Go visit a Greek Orthodox church. Meet people. Reach out and maybe call a priest and talk to them. Or just listen to our podcast. That's what he said. Right? Def- definitely <laughs> that, listen that to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, listen maybe to this. start your own. Yeah, if I think you... that's been very helpful for me. Yeah. And uh, go to a service of another denomination. Even if it's not Greek Orthodox. Even if it's not Greek Orthodox. Go to a Russian Orthodox service. I swear (laughs) no one will ever stare at you as harshly as those people. (laughs) 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 When you don't speak Russian. (laughs) It's a great time. Well, that being said. Thanks for listening. Uh, Make sure you... Okay, this is what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. Then I forget which that he we forgot have. again. <laughs> uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon. 
consider running our Twitter account. Please consider reaching <laughs> out to us to run our Twitter. <laughs> We're bad at this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, support some Patreon because uh, podcast costs money. Yeah. We have to get mic. Our mic needs a new cord. We need a new computer. Travel costs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of need that uh, you're able to help with if you're listening and have money. And Even future if it's guests. Like one dollar a month. Yeah. Future, future guests. guests. Uh, we have Jerry Brito on the schedule. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, Let's see who else. I always forget. Jeff White's coming up. Brother McLaughlin. Jeff White, George McLaughlin, big um, guys in our our ages on podcasts with Robbie Brissy, Chris Brissy, and Alicia Matthews. So that was, that's all exciting. And of course, uh, at, at the end of season, season one, one, we will have Francis Chan. He just doesn't, doesn't know it. And at the end of season two, we'll have Pope Francis, who also doesn't <laughs> know. <it. laughs> so thanks for listening, guys. Uh, tune in next time. Adios. <laughs> oh, yeah, we need Spanish, right? Oh, wait, what's Greek for goodbye? Yasu. 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 Uh, Yasu.